Has anybody noticed an increase in conspiracy theories lately? Has anybody noticed that? Any hands here? I, I actually can ask people to raise their hands now. It's great. I love it. I haven't been able to do that for six months. My apologies to you online. We miss you. Uh, please come and also, can I see your hands in person? That'd be great too. So, but conspiracy theories. In fact, conspiracy theories have been on the rise since 2001. And what was the big event that happened in September of 2011? Was 9-11, what we know as 9-11. And I, I discovered that, uh, that 17% of Republicans and 15% of Democrats to, in 2016 believed that the World Trade Centers, the, the 9-11 was, was, was created by the U.S. government. In fact, one theory even said that it was a cruise missile that went into the Pentagon and not uh, Air American Airlines Flight 77. I happen to know someone who was at the Pentagon that day that can corroborate that it was a plane uh, that struck the building. I, we have a firsthand account of that. But again, this is, this is how conspiracy theories work. And they've actually been on the rise uh, even more recently. Uh, think of Pizzagate, uh, where the man goes, our man goes to a pizza restaurant because he had read online and through social media that there was a, a child trafficking ring happening in the basement of the pizza parlor that didn't have a basement. And they had gotten death threats and all kinds of uh, threatening emails and things going to that pizza restaurant, and, be, and it really was all fake. It was all fake news. We can remember that. We can also remember um, the different things that are happening even today. COVID-19, uh, one of the theories is the numbers are being inflated. Another theory that came out recently was Antifa was going around setting the fires in California and Oregon and here in Washington. And these things have never been backed up by facts. And so we're living in a day and an age where these theories, these conspiracies can actually uh, take on new light, take on life in people's minds and, and, and thoughts. And uh, even I will confess that as a pastor, sometimes I get emails and I go, I don't know that this is really true. I don't know that this is really factual and it's not in context. And so we are quick to jump to assumptions. Now, today in Daniel, we're, gonna, we're actually going to look at a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, but an actual conspiracy. Because there, is, there are things that happen to people. There are people that uh, do create conspiracies and act out on those conspiracies. And actually, we see that in the story of Daniel. But I would pause here and, and talk to us as a Christian community and say, you know, before we pass on information, we should check the facts. We should look at what's the truth and find facts out before we pass on that email or post that th that. Uh, article on social media, and that we should also look at the context. So one of the things that uh, I often do when I'm presented with, uh, some, with uh, some um, position or some opinion or some event is I look at both sides of the story. I go investigate and try and listen to the facts from two points of view because I find that that's helpful for me to understand what the context is. And so that's important for us to do, I think, as a Christian community as well, is to not get caught up in conspiracy theories and really discover, are the facts in the context lining up a conspiracy or is it just a theory that somebody's putting forward to create problems? Now, in today's story, we actually have a conspiracy. We do see that there is corruption happening, and it's geared towards Daniel. If you can imagine, Daniel was a foreigner living in a foreign land, and he's about to be elevated to basically what we would call prime minister. He's getting a, a top-level leadership position in the land of Babylon under the king. 
And so the other officials are threatened by this. They don't like this idea. Notice that the first thing they try and do is they go digging to find some dirt on Daniel, to find some ways that he has done something wrong, and they can't find anything that he's done wrong. So what do they do? They say, well, we can't, this this is a person of integrity. This is a person who does the right thing, so let's try and catch him. Let's, in fact, let's use his integrity against him. And so what they do is they come up with a plan to create a law for just 30, and that's how part of what they present to the king is they say to the king, well, you know, it's only for 30 days, right? You, it, we could just do this for 30 days, not forever, right? That's, a, that's a one approach they take. And the other selling point is they actually lie to the king. They say that all the officials, all the administrators are in agreement with this law. So the king is probably hearing that as, oh, Daniel agreed to this, Right? that one of his top officials was also on board with this, but he wasn't. And so they present just uh, not quite uh, accurate evidence to the king. So the king signs the law, and it says it's an irrevocable law, and so this law is put into place. But notice that they use actually Daniel's integrity to get him to do it. They knew he would open his windows to Jerusalem because they, had, they, they knew that. He did this. This was consistent. And what's beautiful about Daniel is that he— doesn't change his behavior because of it, right? He stays consistent. He stays and continues to be the person who God created him to be and the faithful person that he was, and he trusted God, even though he knew that they were going to use this against him. So that's wonderful on Daniel's part. Notice, though, that the king, that night after he puts Daniel in the lion's den, is really distressed, right? One, I think he really liked Daniel, and so he didn't like putting Daniel in the lion's den. He also knew that this was also someone he could really trust, and he could see the conspiracy, the manipulation within the other officials, and he really wanted somebody of integrity in leadership, which is probably the reason he wanted to put Daniel into leadership to begin with. And so he's struggling with this. He's also probably dawning on him that night that he's been, he's been manipulated, right? He's been, he's been deceived. And so he recognizes that in that moment as well. And so he's up all night. He can't sleep. All right, another hand raised question. How many people here get up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep because of something on your mind, right? What causes you to lose sleep at night? What causes you to stay up for two, three hours in the middle of the night? What are those things Psychology Today had a study out, and they asked that same question of what keeps people up at 3 a.m. in the morning. And here are some things that keep us up at 3 a.m. in the morning, according uh, to to that study. Uh, One of the big questions we're all asking is, what do I want? What am I doing with my life? That's a big life question that we wrestle with in the middle of the night. Am I doing the right thing? That's another question we wrestle with. Number two, am I doing the right thing? Daniel, I wonder how much sleep Daniel actually lost because he knew he was doing the right thing, right? Or what about number three? What do you other people think of me? Ah, don't we think about that? Like, am I, are people going to accept me, approve me, or what I did? And Daniel was trying to be consistent with being approved and faithful to God. The other question uh, people ask is, where am I going in life? Like, what's my life's direction? Am I going the right direction? Do I, my life have purpose? And Daniel knew what? When he got up and prayed that he was going to a lion's den. He knew that. He knew his direction. And then number five question is, what, why do I act the way I do? 
Um, do you ever do that at night? Like, that's one of the things I think about, oh, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Or I shouldn't have done that, you know? And I, you go through those uh, rerun what you should have done or what you should have said scenarios in your brain. I've done that on many nights. Notice, though, that the context of these questions that we all wrestle with as humans is work-related, life purpose, work-related stress, right? Work-life balance. Is my life out of balance? And maybe you feel that way even today, right? As our lives have been kind of thrown in, our work-life balance is off right now, right? Uh, it's, it's been changed. Uh, work stress is different now. I watched, uh, as I was going through the neighborhood this past week, I saw moms with their kids out on the front lawn on a sunny day doing school. And I couldn't imagine all the things that they're trying to juggle, work at home, school at home, all these things going on. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of change for all of us. And so that may be what keeps us up at night, just like King, the King. The King was up all night. The other thing I notice about this is that as I dive, we dive in, if you go study this text and you go read commentaries, that occasionally, uh, not occasionally, but often I will come across a commentary that actually where the commentator doesn't believe the story that's happening. And I read a commentary this week where the commentator didn't think this story really happened. This was fictional. It was fabricated. And I remember reading through it, and I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. Like when they read a story like this in the Bible, they may have a hard time making sense of it, and they may try and look at it different ways. And it's hard to believe that God would externally intervene into this situation. That's, what's the, that's the miraculous part of it. Now, there are two things that are going on here. One is that God actually intervenes externally, and as Daniel says, shuts the mouths of the lion. So God would intervene into the situation and do that. So that's an external intervention from God, and that happens. We see this throughout the Bible. There's another thing that also could be happening here, and maybe it's a combination of both, but God's also working in Daniel. And I wonder what Daniel's response was, and we don't really know how Daniel responded to all this other than he prayed and that he made it through the night. We don't know what happened inside of Daniel between those two times. But here's a thought. We do know that Daniel said, and, or what the, what the book says, that Daniel says is that he trusted God in the lion's den. So that's internal, right? That's a, not an external circumstance. That's, a, that's, a, that's how his heart was as he went into the lion's den. He trusted God in the lion's den. That's the point. And so I thought about this, and I, do you know how, you know, when you're out in the wilderness, you know, you're usually trained, here we worry maybe about bears or cougars, right? And you, when you face a bear in the wilderness, you respond differently than if you're facing a cougar, right? And what's the difference, right? If you're facing a bear, you want to keep your distance or go away or have bear spray or whatever. But if you are facing a, a cat, uh, a, a cougar, a mountain lion, you don't turn your back on the mountain lion. And in fact, the one thing you don't want to do is run. <laughs> because as soon as you run, you become prey. And what makes you run? What makes you and I run in that situation? Fear, right? It's a threat to our life. And so we naturally want to run away. I wonder if Daniel had such trust and such peace with, from God, that when he was lowered into, Dan, into the lion's den, he just stood there calmly, without anxiety, he didn't run away like other people probably would have put in. If you go running and screaming from the lions, they will pounce on you. But maybe he has such peace, such calm, such trust internally 
that when he was lowered in the lion's den and all that he was facing the lions, he was able to be calm. He was able to just be still. And there's great scriptures about being still and know that God is there with us, right? And so in that situation, not running, not panicking is the best response for Daniel. And I wonder if God gave him that kind of peace when he was in the den. And what's good news is that God can give us that peace in our lion's dens, right? Philippians 4, 7 says this, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's great news that whatever our lion's den is, God will bring peace as we turn to God, trust God, trust Christ in those situations. You know, I was wondering, not only the question is what are, um, what are, what are we, keep, kept, keeps us up at night like the king, but I would ask another question this morning. What are our lions right now? What are the things that we're scared of, afraid of, that are ready to pounce on us or that we feel anxiety about, that are worry about? What are our lions today? One of the things I love about First Church is that we have two prayer boxes uh, out here that people, they're there 24-7, and people can come and write a prayer request on a card, put it in the prayer box, and they come in, and we pray for those prayer requests that come in, and they come in every week at our church. Uh, We've got one out by the chapel, uh, where am I? Yeah, over here, and does it, if you're online, I apologize, directions don't matter. But uh, so there's uh, online, there by, and there's another box uh, uh, down on the other street uh, that oftentimes uh, students go by. So I looked over the prayer request that we've taken in over this past six months, and I thought it'd be interesting just to share some of those requ- I'll share these anonymously, and a lot of times these are anonymous requests, but these are the things, these are the lions in people's lives. These are the things that people are praying about. And these are people that walk by our church every day or every week, and they're in our community. This is in the heart of people. Uh, There was someone who was praying for a new job, a better job. They obviously didn't like their job or needed to find a new job. Uh, We get multiple prayers from a homeless man struggling with a mental health issue. We know that, and we pray for him. Uh, A prayer for someone healing from a stroke. A single mom uh, who doesn't have a job praying that God would provide a job for her. A woman praying about being a spouse, a good spouse. A person uh, praying protection. We get multiple ones of these. A person praying protection over their family during COVID-19. A person praying not to be a failure when everybody else is expecting them to fail. A police officer praying to be a good cop. Wow, that's important, right? especially today. And then several praying about the tensions in our world and repentance of our nation. And we get multiple ones along those lines. So these are the lions of our day, right? Whether they're external circumstances out of our control or things that are directly impacting us today. And I think God wants to give us, each of us, we know that God wants to give us God's peace, which passes all understanding, just like Daniel. So I don't know what your lions are today. I don't know what lions you're wrestling with, what lions den you find yourself in. But please know that you're not alone. That the peace of God will be with you as you trust in God. I thought I'd share this one story with you. 
about Alexander Zolchenitsyn, and I'm probably not saying his Russian name correctly. He was a Russian philosopher and writer of the 20th century. He spent part of his life in a Siberian uh, prison, and uh, he, it was so ter- terrible in that prison. In fact, they, it was just work, work, work all the time, uh, mul- multiple hours uh, a day, every day of the week, and he was growing physically weak and mentally discouraged and depressed. And he found himself to the point where he just decided he was going to give up. He, he, he was done. He couldn't take it anymore. And I can't think of any place worse than a lion's den or a Siberian prison. It's about as bad as it can get, I imagine. But notice, when he decided, what he decided to do was he decided that he was going to give up. And so he knew that if he stopped working, it would immediately bring a response from the guards. And he was so physically weak that he imagined he would probably not live through the beating that he would get from the guards for stopping work. He knew that this was what would happen. So he decided one day he was just going to stop shoveling. And he was just going to lean on his shovel and wait for the guards to come. And so he did just that. He stopped working. He leaned on his shovel and he waited. But before the guards noticed and before the guards could get there, a Christian walked up to Alexander and in the dirt made the sign of the cross with his foot right where Alexander was looking. And then the other prisoner quickly wiped it out with his foot before the guards could come and see, and he walks away. And Alexander said that was the moment he felt renewed, (laughs) that the sign of the cross for him renewed his spirit and gave him hope, right? And he continued to live, and he made it out of that prison. He realized he was not alone, even though he felt all alone. That's the same thing with Daniel, with Alexander, and with us. That even when we feel all alone, if we will look to the cross of Jesus Christ, we will experience peace. We will get hope when we need it the most. Let's pray together.